Blog Talk Radio. Alexander Bennett, and a special welcome to the callers and chatters to the show tonight. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Tonight's show is about the early federal census worksheet. This worksheet is a genealogy spreadsheet application for Microsoft Excel that allows the easy capture of the decennial U.S. federal census data from 1790 to 1860. Now, lining up data over time, it creates this visual comparison of the changing composition and geographical locations of families, including white, free, non-white, and enslaved members of any given U.S. household. My guest tonight is Donna Cox Baker, and she is the editor-in-chief of the Alabama Heritage Magazine, which is headquartered at the University of Alabama. She has a Ph.D. in history, host of the Golden Egg Genealogist blog, and co-founded the Beyond Kin Project. She is also the author of two books, Views of the Future State, Afterlife Beliefs in the Deep South between 1820 to 1865, and Zotero for Genealogists, Harnessing the Power of Your Research. And this book just came out in January. So let me give a warm welcome to Donna Cox Baker to Ancestors Footprints. Welcome, Donna. Thank you so much, Bernice. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for giving well, me the opportunity. I'm happy to have you. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, we certainly want to know how to make things easy for ourselves. That's for certain. So can you describe just what the early federal census worksheet is and does? Sure, sure. And uh, I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence, um, but I, I, I want to, and just in case there's somebody who doesn't know what a spreadsheet is, um, let me uh, describe that a spreadsheet is, is a table of, of data, um, and it, it can be row, rows and columns, wherever you might be creating a table of information. So most spreadsheets, they just look like a table of rows and columns, you know, and, and people use them for, for uh, adding up, uh, you know, their monthly receipts and all kinds of things. 
Um, so this one, though, I, I have used in a way um, to to mimic the censuses that were making me crazy with their difficulty. And that at first for me, that was the censuses before 1850. And those of you um, who are doing ge genealogy, you know exactly what I mean. Um, when they, uh, when you get to that place where there's the name of, of the head of household and then there are tick marks um, or there's ones and twos and you've got to figure out what that means. Um, and then if you're African-American, even beyond that to um, 1850 and 1860, and you've got the slave schedules, which usually don't have names except for a, uh, for a slaveholder. So um, I wanted to create something that made this make sense to me. And so um, one of the things I realized that we need is to be able to compare apples with apples between censuses. So that um, right now, you know, if you're looking at a census from, say, 1840 and somebody is 25, when you look at 1830, he's got to be uh, 15. Um, and so, so you, you need the, the person, um, you need to be able to match uh, them against themselves in, at different times um, wherever they were so that you can start to see whether you've got the right family or not. If you've got all the people with the right birth dates. All right, so what this census does, um, excuse me, what the spreadsheet does, is it does the thing that the census doesn't. Uh, census gives you ages for people, age ranges. Um, this converts that into birth years because ages change between um, census, um, census being taken once a decade, but the uh, birth years will not change. You know, we might have them off by a year or two, but, they, but roughly they're gonna be the same. And so that's how you compare apples with apples. You wanna figure out uh, what you know, what your ancestor's birth year was, and then you want to look at at various census records to see if you find a family that has people of the right ages. Um, and so this allows you to line them up in a visual way, so that you can fairly quickly say, "I think this is my family," or "I think this isn't," and you rule out those who aren't, and you start to ask good questions because you see, well, I think this is my family, but this person's missing or this person's been added. Um, and you ask questions and um, uh, begin the genealogical search for the answers. We're matching out. We're creating a spreadsheet that's going to connect apples to apples. So exactly. even though we see people and we see those ages, and, I mean, I've seen some crazy ranges. I've seen folks that <laughs> at one point in time they're 55 and the next point in time they're 35. Yeah. But you're saying that the years do not change. So let's say, how do we know that the years are not changing? Because I've also seen people born in, let's say, 1835, and then I'll see another census record, and they'll say 1845. Well, so how, errors, how can you say that's yeah. the same person? Well, well, there are errors. We all are aware that census takers, they made mistakes, the people who, when they were, um, copying the stuff they made mistakes, and the people who were giving them information often made mistakes. So the mistakes are, are you know, you've got to work around the mistakes just like you always did. Um, a person, when they were born is when they really were born. Now, the degree to which the censuses got it right, you know, you're, you're going to be analyzing that as you go. Most of the time, they're going to have a person pretty close to the right range. Now, it's going to be harder in the enslaved uh, schedules, absolutely, um, because uh, the, the person giving the information 
might not know. Uh, they, they might be a lot less likely to know the ages. Um, so you are going to still have to deal with the fact that there's bouncing ages. Um, but um, what you're hoping to get, though, is a pretty good consensus of birth years so that you're getting you're you're in a range that seems uh consistent enough that you have a good idea of the range of when your ancestor was born does that make sense okay yes it it does make sense so let's go back because i think you said something about why you created this worksheet but tell us a little bit more just how did you come up with the idea for a worksheet well, um, I have been using Microsoft Office products throughout my whole, uh, well, as long as they've been around. Um, so it, it's always natural for me to look at uh, a tool that I have at hand. And by the way, I want to tell folks that you can use other spreadsheets for the light version of this. The premium version is for Excel, but uh, the light version works on uh, Google Sheets and, um, and, and other uh, tools. And on Microsoft's Excel Online, you have to use the light version for that. But, but I, uh, it, it's sort of in my nature to, to fidget and look for things to fix um, better ways to fix things. I, I, I blame it on the engineering DNA. Me, I'm not an engineer, but my father was. His brothers, his father, they fix things, and they always found a way to, you know, find a piece of wire that would, you know, fix them. And I think I just have that that in my brain that if something's not working, I'm thinking, what could do it? What could do it? And because the censuses look so much like spreadsheets. Um, that was nat- natural to me, and I, by, by, by no means, I, I'm sure I'm not the first one that's, that's used spreadsheets to to record census data. Um, it's this business of lining them up um, so that uh, so that you you are visually seeing a person, um, seeing them match from decade to decade, so that you have a good idea that you have the right family. That uh, that actually was inspired by um, a form that. Mark Lowe taught when I was in the Institute for Genealogy and Historical Research. He had created a form on paper that um, that did this of moving um, numbers so that they so that they created uh, so they made sense. They created a, a, a consistent uh, flow of data so that you knew that you had matches. Um, and and I, I know this is hard if you're not actually looking at the spreadsheet. I'll try to explain it better as we go. But um, that had also um, uh, intrigued me. And, I, and when I was first having trouble with this, I pulled out his form. And I, I'm just not a person who wants to use paper anymore. Uh, I don't like being limited by it. I like things to be with me everywhere I go. And so that was the first idea, I think, uh, then of moving that onto um, a, a spreadsheet. And then it began to get bigger and bigger. And, and I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I, it took me a while to realize that I'd left out that second page of the census uh, where, where all of the uh, enslaved persons, where the free people of color are. I had left them out because I thought I was just working on my family. Um, now, I, my DNA came back a few years back, and, and it was the first time I became conscious of the fact that I descended from an enslaved person. And I became very intrigued with, uh, finding that that person's story. Uh, uh, she, I, I don't know her name. I don't. I, I know she's from Benin, Togo. But other than that, I, I don't know. I think she's from my father's mother's side. But the uh, that's what made me first conscious of how hard it was going to be to find her. And mm-hmm. um, as I you know as I got conscious of that, 
um, I became conscious of what this really needed to be. Um, and as I got conscious of what this needed to be, the spreadsheet that it contains the real big picture of uh, the group of people that lived and worked together. Um, and and um, when I began to, to realize that, I realized that if you want to know your family, if you want to understand them, you've really got to look at that whole picture of everybody mm-hmm. that that census would have put in the same considered in the same household because their lives interconnected for better or worse their lives interconnected in ways um that shaped everything so that that's when i um my spreadsheet became three times as wide when i realized how many people i'd been leaving out of it just completely ignorant of it you know and then um adding them in um uh and making this spreadsheet the full picture of each household uh, or by extension, um, you know, slaveholding institution um, in many cases, that then I was able to really um, get a sense of um, things like uh, are, are people being bought and sold in this household? Um, uh, have, uh, have children gotten married and, and uh, inherited um, enslaved persons? Um, those were questions I hadn't even thought to ask myself before I started um, looking at this bigger picture. And it's so important for, for knowing the whole story. Um, so, and, and then as I, as I began to work with Phrasing Taylor on this, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people know her um, on this call, um, her expertise in African-American genealogy, she began to teach me. Um, you know, I, I began to learn a lot more about, um, about how these movements uh, of African Americans, of, of the uh, enslaved persons, um, shape, you know, a family's fate. So, anyway. So as you as you speak of the the spreadsheet, now there's a question: is an is there an example of the spreadsheet anywhere online? Yes, um, you can uh, you can go to the, my store, which is goldenchannelpublishing.com, and when you find the product. I go to the shop there and look at the product. The product has a huge amount of information there with it, including a link to a video. And that might be helpful to those who are listening if you can just at least get a picture of what I'm talking about and understand apples with apples. Um, because, uh, yeah, again, it's goldenchannelpublishing.com. And um, then go into the shop and look for this for the worksheets. Um, look beneath the picture and you will see... Um, an image of what this looks like. Actually, the the product itself, you'll see a picture of it. But look also, um, later you can look at the video, and it'll actually show you how to do it. Um, But I'm trying to think if there's a better better way to describe for those who can't see. Uh, And maybe you can help me, Bernice. But um, uh, let me – one of the things that this spreadsheet does, and and visually I just needed this. I don't know if everybody else does. But I needed – uh, color to help me know whether I'm looking at a family in 1840 that that looks like it could be a match to a family in 1830. I needed when I put numbers in to say that the census says there was one person in this age category and one person in that category. I needed it to turn those cells yellow, um, and so it's it it turns a, sh- a cell yellow if 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 there's been any record of a person in a particular age category. Or, uh, and so uh, in the next census, that age category is moved by 10 years, which would mean that um, the yellow, now that the person is 10 years older, um, ye- the yellow would still line up on top of each other. So, 
So let's say it's me, and I was born in uh, in in, eight, in 1820. Um, so the 1820 census has my um, has my little yellow spot in um, the under five, under age five category in 1820. But then when I add the 1830 census beneath it or above it or whatever way I want to do it, um, it now has me at age 15. But the 15 is lined up under the uh, where I was five before, and the next year it'll have me at 25, and it'll still be lined up. Um, the next uh, census, 1840, will still have me lined up, um, so that there's going to be basically like a straight little yellow river running uh, through uh, my year of birth. You know, for my my range of birth, which was you know 18, uh, let's say it was 1818, and by 1820 20 census I was in the under five category. I'm sorry, I'm getting confusing with this. But but anyway, I'm, I'm saying that it creates sort of a little yellow river that runs through um, all, of, all of your census, every notation about you in a census. And so when that river breaks, you know that something has happened. Maybe there was an error in the census, or maybe you've got the wrong family, or maybe a person died or moved or was working somebody else's farm, you know, so this yellow river that runs through it is, is the visual part that makes this so much easier than anything I'd tried before. And also, I mean, you mentioned that this could also this this spreadsheet could actually be of help for individuals that are researching their enslaved populations. So tell us more about that because even if you're talking about the slave schedules you're really tracking the enslaver and when they exactly. acquired slaves. Am I correct on where this is going? Right. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to be trying to find an enslaved ancestor, um, there's really no way around it that you've got to work the slaveholder's family, and um, you've got to work their genealogy along with yours, um, because mm -hmm. you, because your family was. Uh, any record kept of your family is going to be attached to them. And so um, I was able to be a part of a project um, this past fall. Um, several students here at Alabama were working on uh, one particular uh, slaveholding family here in Tuscaloosa, and um, they had asked for some counsel on how to do this, and I, I began to work with them on it. And I used um, the, um, the worksheet to, uh, to track this family, and it was so instructive because – you know, I'm, I'm logging everything I can find out about the white family, but I'm also logging every reference to an enslaved person, uh, whether it's in a will mm -hmm. or whatever. I'm doing, I'm doing that the way we all do, um, uh, do any kind of genealogical research. But when it came to the censuses, um, I took every mention of this, this particular man, his children, and his grandchildren, and I tracked every enslaved person um, that was mentioned in the in the census schedules. And what I found, this is something Phrasing Taylor had told me to look for because, and, and I saw this, is that it became pretty clear to me that enslaved persons were staying with this family, but they were moving from house to house. All mm -hmm. right, so these are the kind of things that if you're not doing the big picture, if you're not looking at the big picture and looking at people sort of in some way where you can you can see movement, um, it's hard, it's really hard to figure that out. But with the schedule, I was able um, to see that uh, that there were roughly a certain number of people um, that were enslaved by the man or his children 
um, and that uh, if there was a, a woman of a particular age in one census, I might see a woman of that, uh, you know, 10 years older in the next census uh, in the son's house and gone from the father's house, but then the person might be back in the father's house 10 years later. And so it, it, uh, to me, working entire groups together is, actually, is absolutely essential. And I was surprised at how many of the people I found in, in this, I was able to match with people after the, um, after the Civil War because uh, they ended up still in houses next door to the children. All right, mm-hmm. so uh, next door to the children, the father by this time is dead. And um, so being able, working an entire population together uh, gives you things that, that you're never going to find if you're just trying to find one person. Um, you're not going to make sense of their movement unless you see something like that. You see that there is just there's a body of people that are being moved from house to house, but they're all still there together with a family um, over, you know, decades. Right, and I mean, you're saying something, but I've experienced it with my own family when they were enslaved. I could see, and I mean, I have wills and deeds and information to tell me that they never actually left the family. They were moving, though, from one family member to another family member. And right. so I, I can understand, you know, what you're saying. But uh, 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 Chatter is asking you to elaborate more about this movement. Okay, so the um, the movement, uh, I, I'm assuming in these cases, because I, I, I'm not finding records that say there's been any kind of formal paperwork that's moved a person mm-hmm. from house to house. But um, but when I began to look at uh, who's in the father's house uh, in, in one particular year and who's in the son's house, and I'm beginning to you know create a list for myself of um, okay I'm looking for a woman of this age I'm looking for a man of this age, um, and then you start to realize you know that that, that the, the the people of those ages seem to seem to be showing up. Now that is not proved mm-hmm. by any means that the person hasn't been sold away and a new person. Uh, has been has been bought, um, but it does um, indicate uh, a, a possibility, a strong possibility, since this was often done, that um, that the mother of the house uh, knows her daughter's having a baby, so she sends uh, one woman to help her for a year. You know, so that person goes, and when the census taker comes, she's in the daughter's house. But then, by the time the next census taker comes, she's back where she was originally. Um, I, and I'm, I'm not sure if I've answered the question. If there's uh, more uh, that I need to elaborate on, please, you know, explain what what you need me to, to describe. Well, I, I have two comments for you. One okay. comment. This is Alvin, and he's saying that what you are describing is the same methodology that he uses. That he will color enslaved family groups found in probate records in his spreadsheet with first names and ages only. Then he followed those families up to the 1870, and he, find the, he then finds the correct surnames. Uh, another comment is that enslaved people were rented out, hired out, and their status was not always static within the same family group. If one enslaved woman died and a purchase was made later of another one, Within that decade, you may not, 
it 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 may not be the same woman. I mean, she's dead now, but you may still see a woman in the household. Basically, how are you tracking that when someone's rented out or someone dies and another person replaces the one that passed away? Well, the spreadsheet is is just one tool among many. You're going to have to compare. I mean, you're going to have to bind it with other things, um, because as you say. Um, the, the fact that a person of the same age is showing up in the child's household doesn't prove that they've been moved. Um, mm-hmm. the, the fact that, they, that, that people of exactly the same age seem to be moving from place to place and, and moving back and, and that same group is part of what gives some lends, lends some credibility to the fact that they were probably being moved from house to house. Um, and some were probably being bought and some were being sold. But that's where you're going to have to, to go to other records. But the, um, mm-hmm. but the spreadsheet gives you one, one of your primary sources for all of us censuses, and it raises a question for you. Um, because if, if a woman that's uh, 10 years old uh, or a girl who's 10 years old is in one household and then is in a relative's household, uh, then there's a woman that is 20 years old in the relative's house, household 10 years later. Could be the same, could be not, but you've, you've, what you've done is created a, a research question. Um, and mm-hmm. so now, now you've got, well, actually you've got a couple. Uh, is this the same person or has there been uh, a, an arrival of one and a departure of one? So, so you're creating... You're, you're creating your research tasks, um, and, and it does sound like um, Alvin is doing exactly, uh, he's, he's, he's doing that same thing where you're, um, you're looking for the potential, and this is only potential, as you're seeing people appear to move, uh, appear to possibly move from one family to the other within, a fa- within a, an extended family. Um, you're not proving it, but you are creating a question that you now need to go and look for other evidence of. So that's where yes. the will, probate records, and the other things. Right. So you will have to look at other records. Now you you mentioned other tools. So what does this worksheet offer that you don't get in other tools? Now I, I can't. I haven't looked at a lot of, of other tools. I've seen Mark Lowe's, you know, the form that I talked about, um, which was uh, that was showing 1800 to 1840, and was just the white um, family. Um, and so that, and, and I think it could only take two or three years. So uh, the paper tools are very limited, just by their by their size. Um, but um, but when I was scanning, looking for this, because honestly, as I was building this, I was building it for myself at first, and then I just started, you know, adding bells and whistles. And one day it occurred to me, has anybody else done this? And I just did a quick search, and I saw some others. Uh, a lot of them looked like they were more static. That they would they would give you 1790. Uh, 1800, 1810, 1820, it would all, all be pasted in together, and then you would just fill in the blanks. Um, this one, one of the things about this that I needed was it allow you to decide what order you're going to put it in. It, you could, if you, let's say, um, uh, or how many, I mean, you could, do, you could put a thousand entries in here, but one of the problems I often have is that I've got, a, I've got an ancestor with a name in 1850, all right, and um, or or may, maybe it could be 1870 if you're dealing with somebody who was enslaved prior to that. But um, you you may know where they were born, um, but the last time they were in a census, they were too young to to have a, a name, and they they were in their father's house or they were in their uh, slave owner's house. Okay, so so you don't have a name, um, 
And so uh, I will often uh, have to be looking at a whole bunch of people who might be prospects for that person's family. So let's say that my ancestor uh, was, was uh, in 1850, he's married and he has uh, a family in Alabama, all right, but he's 25. So I know that in 1840, if I'm going to find him, he's probably a child in his father's house. Um, and so, uh, and, and I'm not finding him in Alabama in 1840, so he was somewhere else. And I find that he was born in Virginia or North Carolina. Well, that is a huge uh, area to search <laughs> for his father, because uh, I'm, I'm probably going to be looking for somebody with the same surname, um, and, uh, and I'm looking for somebody with the same surname who had a 15-year-old son in the previous census. Okay, so I'm looking for a son whose name would not have been there. So there could be 20 families who have sons 15 years old with that surname in the potential area. So then I, I, I am comparing, you know, I'm, I'm having to, to try to uh, figure out which family is most likely and things like that. So um, that's, so I might be having, I might have 20 different people with the 1840 census because I'm looking for all the people with that surname. Um, and I'm putting them into this spreadsheet together so that I can begin to figure out, okay, I'm going to rule that one out because of this, and I'm going to rule this one out because of that. And you begin to rule them out, and you get down to, to, the, to the ones that are most workable. Um, and you're looking at, at things like family names and what he named his son and, you know, what his father's name might be. So you're using all those tools of genealogy. But with this tool, um, if you, what you want to do is to, to compare – 10 different men named John Smith in the 1840 census, um, you can do that. You can just put them, you know, one after the other and, and try to figure out which ones look the most like the one you want. Um, and, and so if you have a static spreadsheet where I had made it so that it's 1790 to 1860 and, and you just have that and um, you fill in the blanks and then you have to do another spreadsheet, um, you can't do the comparison quite the way I needed to do. So, mm -hmm. so this is much mm -hmm. more flexible. Right. Now, you did mention other records earlier. Yes. Is the spreadsheet uh, designed to capture information from other records, or are you just looking at these records and saying, okay, this, this looks like the people in this record look like the same people that are on this census? Just how are you using other records, and what other records are you talking about? Well, um, the, the, some of the other records I've used have been wills, um, have been, uh, well, in, in, in this family in Tuscaloosa, for example, um, there was a, uh, a court case um, of, uh, uh, what was it called? Oh, it, uh, well, I can't even remember now. But it was a court case that had two African-Americans who had taken the last name of the slaveholding family. And they had the exact same names as two people in the will. Um, and there had only been three people named in the will, and, and two of them had these names. And now there was this appearance that the two of them uh, were, were living together unmarried after, and they'd, they'd been taken to court over that. Um, and so, um, so, so, it, those, those, so I was comparing those two things together, and I was looking at the spreadsheet to look for the movements of people that might have been them uh, with their ages and their, and their sex. 
um, to, to figure out, you know, what household they might have been in. Were they in the same son's household after the father died, things like that. But um, you can use any of the tools that Excel has, you can use. So if you, uh, I often use the comment field. So if, if I'm looking at a particular uh, person um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've got their, their number, you know, they, they were the, the, one, the one that the census taker put under the um, 10 to age 10 to 15 category um, in a particular year. Um, I, can, I can attach a comment and I can put whatever I want to describe who I think that is and whether there's more information. But the spreadsheet itself is not intended to be your research keeper. It's intended to be one of your primary source analysis tools. So it's for you to an mm -hmm. analyze your records, and, it beca and because you're analyzing them here, your work stays in a, in a form where you can go back and find it when you need it later because you're going to make some decisions based on what you're seeing here that, cause, that send you down another path for research. Um, and if you ever need to come back, you don't have a bunch of pencil scribbles like we might have done before to try to figure this stuff out. You've got, you've got it in a form that's easy to read again. You, it's easy for you to figure out what what led you down the path, or you can even leave a note to yourself, I'm going to try to look for this or that. Now, the, the book that I mentioned about Zotero, that's, to me, that's the recommended tool for gathering research. Um, and you can even pull in the, um, the, the spreadsheet. The spreadsheets, um, you can pull those into Zotero and store them together, store them under people's names or under surnames or however you want to organize it. But the worksheet um, is, is designed for analyzing censuses, and so okay. that's what its, its purpose is. But if, you, but if uh, a census, an item you see in the census that isn't making sense to you makes more sense because of something you saw in a will, you might make a comment on that cell in the spreadsheet and, and leave a note to yourself. I'm all about leaving um, what I call breadcrumb trails oh, I, because I don't trust my memory <laughs> to, to 10 minutes from now. So this becomes my memory for me of why I made a decision about who I thought a person was or where they went or here's where I think they got married. Um, it's the spec, you know, a lot of it's the speculative part, and then you're going to take that as, as, the, as the place where the questioning begins, um, where you begin to have some evidence that the person probably got married at this stage or they probably died at this stage because of what the census tells you, and then you add to that the, re the other research um, that's available. So it's, it's one tool of many, but of course the census is, it usually becomes the skeleton of our research. So this, this helps okay. create so, that skeleton. So yeah. you have two questions. Uh, okay. Have you ever developed a user-friendly numbering system co to construct the spreadsheet and track individuals and families? Now I don't use a numbering system. Um, I, I have, I do. There's a friend here in Tuscaloosa who does, and I could put somebody in touch if we needed to. He uses a pretty elaborate numbering system, but um, no, I use. Uh, mine have tended to be surnames. Um, uh, now I use when I am. This is actually getting into the Beyond Kin project, which is another discussion. But um, we we have come up with some um, sort of uh, guidelines for how you how you name. How, how you identify people who have no name, all right? And so with African-Americans, um, the, their ancestors um, that were enslaved, there is this um, issue that you've got 
people who you have an age for and you know they were, let's say that you may, may know they were mulatto, you know they're male or female, uh, and on occasion you may know their occupation. Um, but since you don't have names, our, our software doesn't really let you um, tie them together. Um, so so you, there's no place to put them. So we've created a, a, a project called the Beyond Kin Project that lets us um, use genealogy software to tie that larger picture together that, uh, that, I, that I was talking about, that, that larger than a household situation where people were living and working in the same environment. Um, so that, um, now I've suddenly lost the train I was on. Oh, okay, getting back to this. I don't know. I don't have a numbering system. It may, it may be something I need in the future as I get deeper into this because I just haven't done a big enough, um, you know, big enough spread out of a story to, to do that. I've done my own families, um, enslaved persons, um, for, oh, you know, three or four generations, uh, not three or four generations, th three or four generations of my family. I haven't tied all the enslaved persons together. But um, but I hadn't thought about using a numbering system, so I'd be curious to, to know more about that. Okay, and then... Uh, you're being asked to elaborate on the concept of that they don't have names. Okay, that's uh, in the censuses. Getting back to the censuses, um, and and of course I mean they don't have names uh, applied in the in, in the censuses. Um, the uh, and and usually when there are names given in records like uh, probate, um, there might be a first name. Sometimes uh, what I'm finding. I found a, a record of my ancestor uh, at an autopsy. It was talking about an autopsy of, a, of an enslaved man, and they refer to him as Jacob Mayberry's man, okay? So they don't give the man's name, the man who died. We don't have his name in the record. We have my ancestor's name. Um, so so the unnamed is is, is the, um, the difficulty um, with doing genealogy, and I think it probably hinders people from doing it. Um, but I think as we start to apply some of these tools, it's it's never going to be easy, but it gets more manageable because we begin to see structure. Um, like with the census, we may not we may not have a name until we have a potential name in 1870 census. Um, uh -huh. But uh, but if we know the age of the person in the 1870 census, um, sometimes we can begin to. Um, make sense of what we're seeing in the senses before that, that that we think we've got the person. And then, then of course, we still want to tie it to other records that bring back a name. But the census tells us something about, uh, it tells us that this particular slaveholder had, this, had a person of this age in the house at this time. And so, it, and so you begin to, you just add one more layer of, of evidence or potential to what you're working so on. So actually what you're doing, I mean, a lot of us will go to, you know, start, let's say, at 1900 and take it to 1870. Yeah. You're doing it the other way. You're doing 1850, 1860, and whatever way you've laid out that spreadsheet, you may be able in 1870, if you have the, you already know the, who the slave owner person is, yeah. then perhaps yeah. And 1870, because you have been tracking, you'll be able to say, oh, these are the people that I've been tracking all the while that are yeah. enslaved by this person. Yeah. Is that what's happening I'm, here? 
Yeah, and, and of course, for me, I, I have been working, I'm encouraging the descendants of slave holders to be doing this, to actually take responsibility for their own ancestor and, and, and try to find everything they can possibly find. Because that way, at least we begin to put out some hooks that people can hook into when they're trying to move backwards from 1870, because that is so hard to do. But I think one of the, the things that may make people hit a brick wall and get really frustrated is the fact that uh, it's very hard to just take a person in 1870 where you have a name and then figure out where were they 10 years earlier um, if they were enslaved because um, they, they, were, they were not going to be, in most cases, they're not going to be under that name. Um, it's easier if they took the name of the slaveholder, at least for the first you know, uh, census. That can be a godsend if they did. But one of the things I suggest people do if they've hit that brick wall um, is, is to think about the potential. I mean, if, if, if you have some idea of who the enslaved, person, enslaved hold, the slaveholder might have been, um, to try to then just go into that family and work out from there. Um, figure out who they were, who their children were, and, and then find all the records you can about who they uh, perceive themselves to own. All right, so um, you're looking at their wills, their probate records. You're looking at the censuses and every uh, name, I mean, excuse me, every uh, person that uh, was was uh, delineated in the census without a name. But you've got at least you've got some little scrap of a of, of a um, description. So hang on to that description. Right, and right. Also, you also have records. You have other records that were created between yeah. uh, 1870 and 1860 so that yes. you don't want to have people leap into 1860 before they look at, well, what was going on in 1869? And, you know, exactly. voter registration, cohabitation, bank records, Freeman Bureau records. I mean, there's yeah. so many other documents that you could pull to help yes. you before you get to the next census. You Not do. to mention and, and, the Civil good. War, <laughs> the yeah. Civil War records. I mean, those are there. Now, uh, we do have a, a caller on the line, and um, I'm going to take this caller, and then we're okay. going to take a quick break to give you a quick break, okay? okay? So right. let me see what this call, caller, do you have a question or a comment? Uh, your uh, area yes. code 636. Uh, hello. Um, can you hear me? Yes. yes, I can hear you. Thanks. Okay. Um, I'm wondering, I have a uh, family in 1846 that we have the appraisal, and it gives their names, and we have a rough estimate of their ages because their father is born in 1806. But... How do we figure out what they're where they're at in 1850 using your method? Well, uh, okay. So you said the appraisal was when? Um, 1846. They um, in 1835, the father of the estate uh, died, and four children were orphaned, and the executor maintains the slaves for 10 more years before okay. selling them. He separates them into four lots. Okay. All right. And so you're talking about how to use the census um, yes. in, in cooperation with us. 
Well, one of the things that you're going to do is to look at change in the census records in 1830, 1840, and, and, and uh, Bernice, I encourage anybody else who, who, who wants to contribute uh, in the chat room and so forth, but um, you, you, you want to look at the census records for the, 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 the owner uh, in, 30, in the 30 census. Then you want to look for how, they're, uh, how they are delineated in the 40 census. You want to figure out where they are. Um, I so, know that then, in 1830 that he has 10 slaves, and he yeah. all, but in 1840 we can't find them on that census because the executor doesn't own them, and it's hard to it's hard to figure out whose slaves they appear as in the 1840 census. And um, and then in 1850 the, the children. Um, the children by are that in, time they're okay. separated up. Okay, uh, to the children though, or or were they sold? All, all they're sold. They're the ten slaves become eighteen, and then they're divided into four lots, not by family, and sold. Okay, yeah. So I, I you know, with that one, uh, if you can't find them in forty, you know, this particular. Um, tool is going to be great for the um, the slaveholders family and and to figure out who he had. And you might go back in time to 1820 and so forth. But um, but in terms of what happened, I mean, they had to have been accounted for. Um, well, I won't say had to have been. There are times when when they would not have been. But since uh, people are going to pay taxes on enslaved persons, the government's usually pretty tough about making sure they're accounted for. So uh, it, they may be in, a, in an unusual place, um, and so you might want uh, to sort of scan the census records and see if, if something begins to make sense. You could look for, I guess, relatives of the, um, of the, uh, the person who is in guardianship over the children. Who has guardianship over the children, one person or multiple people? The guardian of the children is back in Virginia. The four children were taken back to Virginia to live with their grandfather. And the executor is here in Missouri in in St. Charles County. And in the probate, there's also, in as it's being worked up those 10 years' time, there's several times that there's receipts for boarding two or three of the children at another person's house. And I've never seen anything like that. I was yeah. hoping that through this, you you said you sometimes they turn up in the strangest place, and well, I thought well, they this do. might be one of these cases. Well, it, it could be uh, the the enslaved persons uh, were probably being rented out. Um, at uh, I don't know, uh, Bernice, you might want to offer some of your wisdom here too. But um, they would have been they would have been making money for somebody. Um, in 1840, which is the missing the missing link, right? Um, and um, and often when they actually do the lots and sell, they actually have names. Did, did they have any names attached when those lots were? Well, you, you said they divided okay. into lots. They actually use names. Okay. One of the things, uh, and we have another caller that's waiting to come on too. But uh, keep in mind, she said they were in Missouri and they went yep. to Virginia. So she's right. going to have to move her search process from yep. one state to another state. 
And mm-hmm. if they, I mean, one of the advantages she does have is she does know who had them at one point in time. She has exactly. a record, and she has yep. names on that record. So I would say to her to continue to look for when when they move, you move. You don't stay in the same place. When they move, you move. You keep you keep tracking them. And maybe it's not the census spreadsheet that you're you're trying to put them on now. Maybe it's yeah. something else. Um, So I'm going to take another caller, and then we're going to take a real quick break. And, um, okay, caller 214, you have a question or a comment? Uh, Yeah, Bernice, I wanted to comment on uh, for the last caller. I've run into this also uh, many times as I um, establish my spreadsheet. What happens sometimes is either if the the property is sold, the the enslaved people are sold with it, but a lot of times if they're a family, Older family, um, the enslaved people have been with the family a long time. They don't list them on the probate record all the time. Sometimes they're separated and they go as family members and they don't list them on the probate list. And that's happened to me on several occasions where I couldn't find them. I know they're there. I know they didn't go anywhere because the family stayed there. And I won't find them again until 1870. But... They just don't list them on that. They're not included on all the probate records, not everybody. Can, can I ask you, um, in the circumstance uh, that she was describing where the executor remains in Missouri, the children go to Virginia, um, what's the most likely scenario? Who would be who Well, would in be a farm situation, what, what, I, what I found is <clears throat> if they're especially on a large plantation, they stay on that plantation. <clears throat> they don't go with the children. A lot of times what's happening is the executives, executives and other people in the family live in, say, Philadelphia or Virginia somewhere. Those children don't necessarily stay there and become uh, plantation owners. They go off yeah. to school and they go off to other places in the north. But yeah. the, the, the black families stay right there and they work on that plantation. But what she's describing is that the probate record just does not always list everybody on that yeah. record. Because some of them are, for whatever reason, their names are reserved and not to be sold or whatever. But that's I, I've run into that several times, and it's it's pretty frustrating because you're tracking them. You know, I've had them from say 1790 all the way up, and then 1850. I don't see them by name. I can't find them anymore, but I know they're there. They show up eventually in 1870. So there's something yeah. about the probate of family members who of of, of enslaved people who have been with the the original families, their names yeah. are not always listed on the probate records. Uh, you know, you, and you've not only me. that, but what about the census, uh, Alvin? Because even though the names may not be on the probate record, they still have the number of people. They do. You'll see them in eighteen. You'll see them say in eighteen sixty, eighteen seventy. The numbers will add up. It's just that the records, uh, again, when they split the property up sometimes, the records do not reflect everybody who's there, and I'm not sure why. You know, uh, another another, uh, possible record source that she might want to be looking for if it it has survived is is some sort of um, uh, organization that was was renting. Um, For example, here um, at the University of Alabama, we have the records of the um, Shelby Ironworks. Um, and there are there are records of enslaved persons being uh, being leased, um, coming into um, Alabama to work, often from other states, 
um, and uh, then sort of disappearing during the Civil War as they're sent home. Um, and uh, so, so it could be that in a circumstance like this where the children uh, can't keep, uh, you know, the, the children are not in a position yet to, to direct the work of the enslaved persons and, 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 uh, and all that the, the executor may have hired them out to an institution where they went to live and, and work. Um, so that could have been where sure, they disappeared. Happens. Yeah, that's ha- that was also in the annual in the annual records. They will have the amount of money they collected for somebody who was rented out, and so. Right. But I think what she's speaking of is what I'm saying. You're tracking names, and you're doing, you're finding all the names, and then all of a sudden there's a probate where they no longer appear. So I'll I'll hang up yeah. and let somebody else um, respond. Okay. Thank you. Alan. So we're going to. We're, thank you, Alvin. We're going to take a little quick break, and with that break, I have two uh, two announcements. First of all, registration is now open for the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute, the only institute focusing exclusively on African American research. Now, the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute is a place where attendees learn, research, and gain the tools they need to become stellar genealogists and family history researchers. The dates for the Institute are July 9th through 11th at the Allen County Public Library Genealogy Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana. For further information, go to the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute's website, and that's www.maginstitute.org. The next announcement is that I'm happy to announce that my new book, Tracing Their Steps, a memoir, is hot off the press. This book is about a journey I took to verify the oral history shared by my grandmother that her grandfather, Peter Clark, owned a lot of land in Marpas, Louisiana. Through painstaking research through an array of obstacles, I discovered that this land was acquired under the Homestead Act of 1862. This story will take you on a journey to learn how the power of oral history can serve as a guide to capturing a beautiful family history. The book is available on Amazon.com, and I will be sending out a notice for those of you that want signed copies. There's a special order form for signed copies. So just so that you all know who I am again, this is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Well, you have been listening to Donna Cox Baker share with us the early federal census worksheet. And although we're getting really close to the end of the show, I just want Donna just to tell us something, and it's back to Donna saying, 
something about the light edition and the premium edition. So, Donna, just tell us, what is that? (laughs) Okay. The premium edition uh, works on uh, desktop versions of Microsoft Excel. All right. So whether you're on an Apple or a PC, if you have installed uh, Excel on your computer, the premium edition works there. It has all the bells and whistles, the most compact view. It uh, automates some of the process of pulling in your census data, um, and it allows you to collapse information to to be, I mean, this spreadsheet is 179 cells wide, so it allows you, it's the most convenient. But not everybody's got Microsoft Excel on your computer. Um, So the light edition works on uh, on a number of other software tools. Um, it works on Excel Online, which is free. Um, and uh, while you have to, it's a little bit more manual and pulling the, 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 um, the spreadsheet, um, I mean the census data in, it's still so much easier than anything else you've ever done. It's, uh, it, it, it works really well. And, um, and I've you know, had people begin to tell me all the different spreadsheets they're using it on, so I know that it's worked on Google Sheets. I think somebody told me it was working on whatever the uh, normal thing that come with, comes with apples is it well it's not pages it's, it's something that comes with apple that's a spreadsheet um, and um, so I, th- I think most spreadsheets that will allow multiple um, tabs uh, allow you to have multiple sh- spreadsheets sort of all together in one document it will work with those and if it can read an excel spreadsheet it, it probably will work and and if it won't just let me know and 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 I'll I'll um, and I'll make that right with you but um I, but the light edition if you're not using excel that is an actual desktop version of excel um then uh then you'll need to do the the light edition so how can individuals get in contact with you to obtain a copy of the Early Federal Census Worksheet. Okay. Well, go to goldenchannelpublishing.com and in the shop there, and you'll find it. You'll find both premium and light, and, and you'll have a lot of information there that you can evaluate before you decide if you want it. Um, and there is a, a video there that you can watch to see if this looks like it will be of use to you. And uh, if you have a question for me personally, you want to ask it, um, you can email me at Donna Cox Baker at gegbound.com, G-E-G-B-O-U-N-D.com. And uh, so I'd be happy to answer any any questions you might have for me um, about this or anything else. Okay. Do you have any parting words before we close out tonight? Well, it's been great. I really appreciate all of the uh, the participation and Bernice the chance to to talk about this. I hope people will uh, give it a try because I, it it has taken the pain out of uh, out of those earlier sentences for me, and I think it it will do the same for others. So, I hope you uh, you all will give it a try and and uh, and make your lives easier. So, okay. Well, special thanks. Uh, to Donna Cox Baker for sharing uh, this federal census uh, spreadsheet with us tonight. And please, everyone, please remember your ancestors left footprints. And you should really follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond in the AfroGenius Facebook pages. If you've tried out the spreadsheet, please comment. Let us know how how it's working for you, and also give Donna feedback also. 
And also remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji and also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Sewell Smith. This is your host. I definitely look forward to all of you joining Ancestors Footprints next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Donna. Thank you. <laughs>